Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Sir William Osler famously said that the good physician treats the disease, the great physician treats the patient who has the disease. On episode number 82, you met our patient, Jeremy Keck, a young man in his 30s with LTGA and double inlet LV status post fontane procedure. But now, in this very special discussion, joined by his widowed wife, Anna Keck, we get to meet Jeremy Keck beyond his heart disease. As a son, brother, husband, father, successful businessman, skilled golfer, and so much more. As we cherish his legacy, we get a glimpse of his fortitude and optimism. His story is an example both of the triumph over adult congenital heart disease and the great need to do so much more. To honor his memory, we are joined by doctors Evelyn Song from Johns Hopkins, Pablo Sanchez from Stanford, and Michael Landsberg from Brigham and Women's Hospital, who will also take a moment to appreciate this powerful conversation with Anna at the end of the episode. Friends, remember, the CardioNerds are an independent platform with a goal to democratize cardiovascular education. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. As always, this conversation is fully observant of HIPAA guidelines. If you believe in our mission, consider becoming a patron of the show on patreon.com. Before we get started, let's take a brief moment to honor and remember Jeremy Keck and so many others who've touched us, taught us, and continue to stay with us. Welcome back, Cardio Nerds, and thanks for joining us for this truly special discussion. I am Evelyn Song, a third-year Hopkins resident, Cardio Nurse producer, and future women in cardiology. You all heard our very special CNCR adult congenital heart disease case from the Stanford Cardio Nerds. More than the case, it was a person's life story. Today, we get to learn about his life from his wife, Anna Keck. Joining us today are Drs. Pablo Sanchez and Michael Landsberg. Pablo is currently a second-year cardiology fellow at Stanford. He's originally from Venezuela and completed his internal medicine training and chief year at Brigham. He's interested in cardiac critical care and interventional cardiology. He's also a great salsa dancer when he's not busy in the hospital taking care of patients. Thanks, Evelyn. It's great to be back and a real honor to be part of this important discussion. Taking care of our patient had a deep impact on me, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with our audience. Thank you, Pablo. It also gives me great pleasure introducing our special guest today, Dr. Mike Landsberg. Dr. Landsberg is the immediate past director of the Boston Adult Congenital Heart and Pulmonary Hypertension Group at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He received his medical degree from Harvard Medical School, completed his internal medicine residency training at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, and then returned to Boston and did his cardiology fellowship training at the Brigham. 
Dr. Landsberg's research focuses on the management of congenital heart disease, and his clinical interests include pulmonary hypertension and ACHD. He's also double-boarded in palliative care. Evelyn and uh, hosts of Cardio Nerds, uh, I want to thank you, Anna. I want to tell you my deep appreciation for allowing me to be here with you. I hope you all know that the, the greatest joys that any of us have as practitioners is being part of the lives of our patients and helping them to get to their goals and to their hopes. And uh, I'm still looking forward, Anna, to learning so much more about Jeremy with you. Dr. Landsberg is a truly outstanding and effective educator. For a topic as complex as congenital heart disease and patients who tend to have long medical histories that can definitely make their care daunting, he would always sit down with us and go through the physiology and what to expect during the hospitalization. I remember as a resident that we could always expect to see him wearing his signature suit jacket over his scrubs and extending out a fist bump at the end of the conversation. And this is all only seconded by his deep knowledge over his patients and his clear passion over their well-being and their care. Probably you're making me smile. Thank you. The, again, one of the, the hallmarks of each of us is that we tend to be pretty good mirrors, I think, and we reflect back the, the goodness and uh, the specialties that we see in each other. And so that if you saw some goodness, I hope you realize it's in large part that of yourself. And now I get the honor of introducing Anna Keck, who is our patient's wife and mother of their two children. I remember speaking to Anna early and throughout Jeremy's stay and recognizing that she was a tireless and wonderful advocate for Jeremy. She was very knowledgeable about his care in Arizona and was always ready with specific and important questions over his trajectory in the hospital. There is absolutely no question that caring for Jeremy would have been even more complex had it not been for the context that Anna and the rest of Jeremy's family provided for us. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's great um, to be here. Um, and I just, it's just such an honor that, you know, we're able to do this and really give uh, people an insight on not only his congenitive heart condition, but who he was. And I just appreciate that, Pablo, you got to see the love that we had. <laughs> And that you, you took a special interest in him and, and just the whole staff at, at Stanford, you know, I just, I appreciate everyone. I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but I would come in with donuts or like pizza for the staff during Jeremy's stay because I was just so appreciative of everything you guys were doing. And, you know, even though he didn't um, end up, you know, surviving, you know, his heart condition. Without the staff at Stanford, I don't think we would have had those eight weeks. And I just, I'm so appreciative of everything you guys did. No, thank you, Anna. Uh, you and Jeremy and the rest of the family were one of the most remarkable families and experiences that I've had throughout my entire medical career. Thank you so much for, for coming on and for allowing us a glimpse into his life and how much more than just a congenital heart condition he was. Yeah, he was more than that.
So Jeremy was a 37-year-old male with double inlet left ventricle and levotransposition of the great arteries who had been palliated to a fontan and presented to us after an out-of-hospital VF arrest. This is ultimately felt to be a combination of scar-based arrhythmia, electrolyte abnormalities, and potentially toxicities from sodalol and digoxin. Despite a challenging first few days, he made a truly remarkable recovery and ultimately had a subcutaneous ICD place and he was discharged home. Another remarkable occurrence was that on the day that he was discharged home, my wife and I boarded a plane to Arizona and ran into Jeremy and Anna on that plane. Were it not for the fact that this happened in July during the pandemic, I would have tried to hug them both. It was a surreal culmination of seeing someone through what was likely their most challenging hospitalization and then embarking to return home. I've seen patients in and out of the hospital before, but I've never seen uh, a patient and family like uh, Jeremy and Anna. And it was just incredible that I got to see the totality of their care bookended by then sharing a flight home back to Arizona. Anna, thank you so much again from the bottom of my heart representing Cardinal's community, the nation. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing with us your story, Jeremy's story, who he was as a person. We're all very honored to be able to be part of this, this story. And I did not get to meet Jeremy personally, I, but being involved in this episode and hearing about his case, I learned so much from him and from you guys. And I was wondering if you can tell us more um, about who he was as a person. Uh, what did he like to do? And how was he as a husband? I love to hear more about that. I don't think that there's anybody, I've never met anybody more driven than um, Jeremy. He graduated with honors from ASU. And I don't, he, he was just super smart. <laughs> I mean, um, and start, uh, started um, in uh, commercial construction. He wanted to actually go to Stanford and play golf there because he's an avid golfer and uh, he wanted to be like Tiger Woods. And I didn't know that he had written letters to the coach at Stanford until he, he had that stay at Stanford and he told me, which was kind of like a neat thing to find out. But I mean, he was that good at golf, um, very driven, very competitive. Like I said, he, he started working in commercial construction and he worked for a company for a while, but he made friends with a good family friend of ours. His name's Barry Chase. And Barry decided to make his own company and leave the company that they were at. And I just remember my husband telling me, as soon as Barry told me to shut the door at his office and said, I think I'm going to go on my own, my husband said, I'm in. Not knowing if he was going to be able to get health insurance, which is a pretty big deal for somebody with this heart condition. But he just knew and he was driven and that company has flourished and it's something that is just amazing. And it's Chase building team. And my husband 
told me that when they first the company first started, everybody brought their own uh, laptops because I mean it was that that new. You know, they didn't have company computers, and you know now it's <clears throat> it's a company that's pretty well known here in Arizona and. The culture that my husband and Barry created in that company was amazing. It was—it's all about teamwork, and it's not just about I. And that was always very important for Jeremy. He definitely wanted to be inclusive and kind. And you know, I, there's not enough adjectives that I could say or nouns to to express to you how kind and caring and he was. Even in business, you know, if he could make it fair, um, he definitely, you know, would do it. Um, you know, I mean, if you told him he couldn't get a contract, he'd laugh and say, "Well, now that you said I couldn't get it, now I'm going to get it," and he would. There's this neat thing at their office that they have that they bet each other, and if you lose, you have to give that person a dollar, but you have to sign it and say why you, you know, lost and. When I cleaned out his desk, I found a thousand dollars in ones, and it was signed. You know, it was like different contracts that somebody was like,、mm, "I don't think we're gonna get it," and they got it. And Jeremy would just always know, "We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it." You know, and that's just the type of person he was. He, it was an optimist. He was very positive, very driven golfer. He loved the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs. That was his team. I mean, when they won the World Series finally, it was like close to, you know, the birth of our children. He was that happy. <laughs> and I just was floored by something you just said. And I, I was thinking to myself, if there's anything that our audience across this country is going to take away, the statement that you just said—a thousand dollars in ones—I just. It's, to me, that symbolizes somebody who sees both the small picture and has the determination, the grit,、uh, and the drive、uh, of making dreams come true. And I think you captured that、uh, for all of us.、Uh, we, we certainly had learned that medically as we heard the medical story about Jeremy, and I think you, you've given us so much more. Can I ask you? Did Jeremy bring that back to the family?、Uh, you know, I, I'm saying it with a bit of a smile, and I, I worry a little bit about the answer in terms of when you first met、uh, and got married. Was there that same competitiveness?、Um, well, you know,、uh, we、uh, we met at a at a restaurant here in、um, Scottsdale, Old Town, and I actually, yeah, that drive showed up even then. I gave him my number. And I was just so busy trying to finish. I was trying to finish college and working two jobs, and I just wasn't able to go on dates when he was able to go. And but he persevered. He kept on texting me and texting me, and、um, and I would just. And he brought it, you know, the game. Like he would be like, "I of course I had tickets to the Suns," and I would still say, "Hey, I can't go." And then I ended up sending a group text to everybody on Valentine's Day. And he texts me back and said, "Would you be my Valentine?" Oh, I was like, "Okay, I, I gotta go on a date with this guy now." You know, like that would be too. And we went on a date.、Uh, we went to Fleming's, and 
We've been together ever since. So Valentine's Day was our first date. But he, that's, yeah, you're, he just brought that drive. Even though we were together for nine years, married for six, we married in um, 2014 and we didn't have a big wedding. We actually just went down to the court and got married, but it was what we wanted. And it was a beautiful wedding to us. And then when, you know, we got done, we went to AJ's and got steaks and grilled them and stayed home. It was perfect for us. I'm hearing both the sharing with community and I'm also hearing how deeply private uh, and personal these important life cycle events were for both Jeremy and for you. Yeah. He was an extremely patient and kind husband. He never yelled. And I know people, it's going to be hard for people to believe that, but he never yelled. And, um, you know, when we had our, our first daughter, Emily, um, he said, you know, his saying that he always says, we're making history, babe. We're making history. And he was so happy and proud. He didn't believe that I was in labor, so he didn't end up bringing his bag. And he sleep next to me, and he was cold. But, you know, he was just so proud and such a great dad. So patient with both our girls, um, just loving and caring. And he loved to see them learn. That was his thing. He loved seeing them grow. It fascinated him when Emily started learning numbers and because he's really good at math. He just, he loved seeing our daughters learn and just get into those next steps. Uh, when I was pregnant with our second daughter, Kaylee, I had to have her premature two months. I ended up getting HELP syndrome. I developed it and it was really scary. Um, my playlets dropped to 25. And I remember him being calm, even when they were rushing me into the OR for an emergency C-section and when they were telling us, you know, my diagnosis and how my platelets just kept on dropping and my liver was not doing well, my kidneys weren't doing well. And he would always just try to be calm. And I was scared. And he just was saying, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And when I got discharged, he said, I knew you were going to get better. I just didn't know when. That was the frustrating part. I knew you were going to make it through this. I just didn't know when. And that's who he was. Even when something that scary was going on, he was calm and smart and took control and just pushed me to believe that I was going to be okay. And I think that that has to do with his medical history. He just was always optimistic. You clearly have a gift uh, in your ability to convey to each one of us in the audience uh, the soul uh, of both yourself and of Jeremy and of your family. That's a real gift. I, I'm hearing 
Jeremy's gift is called the, the statement about his calm, yet his insight, his intelligence. That, that doesn't come from nowhere, though. And you hinted in part it was from his medical background, yet I suspect you know, we all we all have places that we go to. We all have something that gives us certain abilities. Sounds like there was not just a little bit of stress in your lives. There were times of intense stress, whether it was medical stress or life stress, new businesses. Where did Jeremy get these gifts? What, what allowed you and him to get through those periods of time? You know, I don't, I wouldn't say that that was the the most stress that we had, obviously, was when I can develop help syndrome. But, you know, when it comes to business and things like that, it wasn't stress. Jeremy, he would climb a mountain and then be like, okay, where's the next one? So it wasn't, business was never stressful. It was, he had that drive where he just loved it. You know, there's people that wake up and hate going to work. Jeremy woke up and was ecstatic to go to work because it wasn't just work. It was building a team and having this community and he loved it. That was his drive. And, you know, like I said, he never yelled. (laughs) And I know it's really hard for people to believe, but he just never lost his cool. And, you know, he would always just say, you know, I would be mad at somebody or, you know, stress about something. And he would say, it's cool. I got it. It's cool. And if he didn't, if, you know, the company didn't get a contract, let's say, he would say, okay, it's okay, let's go. That's his license plate. Let's go. Next one. That's literally my husband's license plate. Let's go. Like that, that was him. You know, he, you know, there wasn't a lot of stress. I mean, I'm sure, you know, like everybody else, there's some stress in your life, but he just was, like I said, so positive and just, love life and just view life differently I think than most people you know because he realized that every day was a gift at an early age so he made his life and my life a beautiful life we we had a beautiful life together and you know he came from a really good family unit his parents were young when they had him and when he was diagnosed. Uh, my father-in-law, I think, was 23 and my mother-in-law was 20. And I admire them so much because having my children, I can't imagine, you know, the stress given that, you know, being given that diagnosis and being told that your son's going to have to go in for open heart surgery at, as a baby. And my mother-in-law just told me, we just did. We just didn't know where to go, but we just kept on pushing forward. You know, she's she's pretty remarkable. I mean, both of them are. The way they just pushed forward and just kept on loving each other and trying to be there. Jeremy has a brother, trying to be there for their other son and still, you know, being at hospitals and, you know, going through all these surgeries. They're... They definitely, I think that a lot of the love that Jeremy and the positivity that he gave out came from coming from such a loving family. There was a surgery, and I don't really know what year it was, but um, where he just was not breathing on his own and that he he was in the hospital and his brother stayed with him. 
And they told him, you have to, you know, you got to shake him when you see that he's not breathing. And so his brother slept in the bed with him. And every time he felt that Jeremy wasn't breathing, he would shake him all night. That's the type of bond they both had. They were each other's best friend. I mean, he's my brother-in-law spent his 21st birthday in the hospital with Jeremy playing video games. You know, my mother-in-law told me that she learned all the parts of the heart because of Jeremy. Anna, you are breaking every uh, pre-existing thoughts of prejudice that people have. You know, in-laws are not supposed to be as close and admiring of each other. And yet you're sharing with us how much you respect and, and you feel so close to Jeremy's parents and Jeremy's siblings and, and their depth of, of, of strength and sense of love and family and community. And, I, and what I heard you say about Jeremy, and the thing that resounds inside of me was his ability to see the extraordinary in the ordinary of every day. Am I hearing that right? Yes. You know, he would always say, you have a choice. You could wake up and make it a great day, or you could wake up and not make it a great day, but you have that choice. Even if I was upset at somebody and he said, so then you're going to give that person the power to make your day not great. That's silly. You go out there and you make it a great day. You know, I, I play tennis and he's a golfer. And I wouldn't win. I would, you know, be like, oh, you know, I almost had it, but I didn't. And he would say, we'll try harder. Why don't you practice more? How about, let's, come on, let's go out and show playing. And why don't you look at videos on YouTube and then look, look at your swing in the mirror. That's what I do. Practice. Go out there and get it. You want it? Go out there and get it. You know, it's so easy for each of us as we hear the medical story that goes along with Jeremy's life and your life. To, to think about the many holes that it was so easy to fall into and to find that were so deep uh, and yet each time uh, that didn't appear or it seems to not have appeared as a whole but rather as a challenge uh, and a challenge that uh, was short-lived because then get up and succeed and on one hand for Jeremy that just seems to be his MO his way of life and it's a little hard sometimes to partner with somebody who just takes everything stride and succeeds how'd that feel for you you know um i've always told everybody that he drove me to be better we were in our 20s when we met obviously and i was just like oh my god this guy is doing this company and doing all of this and that and i'm still like just trying to finish college <laughs> you know but he being with him made me mature and really forced me to get a better drive, to try harder, to do better. I originally was just you know, getting my undergrad and then you just kept on seeing him just driving and driving and I said, I'm going to grad school. And I graduated with honors from grad school because of him. And I, I, my youth and family therapist and I had to take my um, test for my license. And I remember him, like I was studying and I, we already had our daughter, our six-year-old. Uh, she wasn't six at the time. She was one. And he was like, you got to get, you know, you got to get a 
first time. Don't try for the second time. Get it this first time. And, you know, it was just like that drive. And I went in there and I was like, oh my God, I got to pass this test. And I did. And then I called him and then he was like, yeah, I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> That's great. We'll talk about it at dinner. You know, it was just like that. He pushed everybody to be as great as they could be in a positive way. You know, it was not stressful. It was up, you know, but I was so stressed about this test. And then he was just like, well, you got it. Great. We'll talk about it at dinner. It's clear how his optimism and drive painted how both of you went through your lives after you got together. How did he tell you about his heart condition? When did you learn about it? And what was going through your mind when you first learned about it? Um, so that's a really funny story. Not as it's funny, it's not funny, I guess. But um, we had just been dating for four months and he had told me he had a heart surgery, but he didn't explain to me the how many surgeries or anything like that. So I wasn't really aware. And when I turned 25 on my birthday, he said, um, I, I had slept over his house and he was like, I, my heart doesn't feel well. I have to go to the hospital and I'm going to call my mom. And I said, okay, well, I'll go with you. Let me just take a shower. And, you know, we got ready and we got in the car and we were on our way to PCH, which is the hospital that treated him most of his life. And when we were pulling into the parking lot, he was like, and by the way, I have a pacemaker and they're probably going to defibrillate me. And I was like, 25 year old girl. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and that's how, you know, we went in there and then he finally explained to me what his heart condition was. And I still had to Google and try to figure out some of the things that he was saying, because I I've never met anybody with a heart condition like that, but I loved him and it didn't matter to me. And I, you know, I he told me uh, one time when he had to go back in there to get Kath, I, I slept with him at PCH. That was a fun experience because it's a kid's hospital and I'm showing up to visit my boyfriend who's 27. You know, he got discharged and then I picked him up and brought him home. And he said, you know, why do you want to be with a guy that's sick? And I told him, I'd rather take a moment of something special than a lifetime of nothing special at all. And I said that to him all the time. Because even though we didn't get a lifetime together, we got moments of most special moments of my life and I got two beautiful daughters <laughs> I mean what else can you ask for obviously I would have wanted more years but he gave me my two beautiful daughters and a beautiful life for nine years Anna how are your children processing all of this uh, <clears throat> you know our three-year-old she knows he's not here anymore but I don't think she really understands you know death 
my six-year-old, she's doing well, uh, considering, you know, I, she is going to therapy. Uh, that was like really important for me and but for the whole family, actually, to make sure that she was in therapy for grief. And she says that she knows that daddy is an angel. And in fact, like she'll say, hey, daddy is here. I'm going to go give him a hug. And she'll hug herself um, and says, you know, I'm, I miss daddy. But she is totally his daughter. She's so positive. She's like, but he's our angel. And he visits us at night. I bet he, he kisses us at night when we're sleeping, right, mama? And I say, yes, of course. And she'll still say, good night, daddy, every night when we go to bed. But she's still doing really well in school. And she's socially, she's just like him. Just I, you know, I, and I, of course, I'm like, I think it's him, you know? He, <clears throat> she inherited that positivity and that drive, you know? And I'm thankful. And we are a loving family. And I think that that really helped, you know, I, the, before, when this incident at Stanford happened, you know, I, I told her I have to, well, daddy has boo-boo in his heart uh, but I'll bring him back I promise and then when this last incident happened she asked me why does daddy have to get so many boo-boos in his heart and I said you know I don't know but I'll bring him back and I guess that's the only thing that I regret saying because I didn't really know the situation I didn't know how long he had been out and I just couldn't bring him back to her this time. Wow, Anna. This is so, so powerful. It is clear that his drive was not only infectious to you and, and really made you all the more powerful and successful, but it's also clear that this was went also into the upbringing of his children and how they saw the world and how they saw how sick he could get and how much better he could get at other points. And it's just amazing to see how such a complex context can be understood by people that are so young. And that's because both of you raised them so well and had them so well educated and gave them just like he gave you that infectious positivity and, and, and fortitude. Yes. I'm, I'm very blessed. Like I said, I had nine beautiful years with him and he gave me my two beautiful children. And that's my price in life, my kids. And he gave that to me. Can I, can I reflect? This is Mike for a second. I, I, we all hear how difficult it still feels uh, in terms of expressing something to our children about uncertainty and the whole life of saying that that uncertainty doesn't exist. Uh, it's going to be one outcome. That's the way we see the world. It has to be that outcome. You know, I, as I reflect, we are allowed to hope and we are allowed to have a deep and rich hope that allows us to get to the next step. 
we're allowed to be wrong sometimes also. And uh, as long as that hope still is there, it allows us to achieve. I marvel at what it must be like when you're facing uncertainty and you're facing real vulnerabilities to be able to just keep going and keep pushing. I think for everybody who has heard across this country, who has heard Jeremy's story, and who hears you and the teamsmanship and the partnership that you two had as a family, it's so easy for us to get caught up and to trip into that hole of saying, my goodness, every one of those surgeries, every one of those defibrillations, every one of those, how could you, how could you possibly see the next day, greet the next day? And to hear how you mustered hope and how you continued with strengths, I, I must share with you. I, I don't know where that strength comes from. You know, I think uh, part of it was him. I, I really do. I mean, you know, he just always pushed forward. Like I said, when I was in the hospital, he was like, you're going to be okay. And I was like, I, I don't feel like I'm going to be okay. They keep on poking me every five minutes to take my blood, which it wasn't every five minutes, but you know. And, you know, he was just like, you just push forward you just push forward and I think that when you're faced with something like this you'd be surprised of like where you get the strength because there's no choice and I when he had that incident and he was in Stanford and I couldn't get a flight until the next day uh, and my father-in-law went with me and I got my nanny and I was trying to get everything as together as I could for my kids and I told his friends I'm not coming back without my husband I'm just not that was not an option for me um, and I think Pablo could tell you guys like I, I you know even when I left I didn't want to leave and Jeremy was like you leave and I just I just couldn't leave him you know just thinking about leaving I knew that I had to fly back and be with the girls for a little bit but he he was getting better and we were talking about him getting the defibrillator put in he was like you could leave and you know come back you have to go and be with the girls but I couldn't I couldn't leave him until I felt that he was okay and I think that yeah, that's what a marriage is that's what you sign up for it's, it's a true partnership and I knew what I was signing up for when I married him you know, with this heart condition. And I knew <clears throat> that I just couldn't leave him. He was the love of my life. He's the father of my kids. I was going to bring him home. Anna, I, I can sense the very strong bond and love between you and Jeremy. And thank you so much for sharing all the stories you had with him. You know, I can sense he was a great husband, amazing father, amazing brother, and uh, a great son. And we are learning so much from him and from you. He's, he was always there for you, just like you were always there for him. You know, I, I am a resident and I hope to become a cardiologist one day. And as a future cardiologist, I was wondering if you have any tips, suggestions for me and for future other uh, fellows in training and future cardiologists, what would you want us to know um, about taking care of people with ACHD uh, like Jeremy 
And do you have any suggestions for how you would want doctors to share, you know, medical information with you and family? I think, you know, the only thing that I, I could say is they're more than their heart condition. So talk to them like they're more than their heart condition. Don't just walk in and out and give them the diagnosis and, you know, and tell them what the treatment's going to be. It takes a minute to make somebody, or maybe five minutes to make somebody feel like a human again when they're in the hospital. And you could just ask them, like, what's your favorite thing? Or, you know, to not just treat them as their diagnosis or as a patient, but to treat them as a person. I think that's really important. We were very lucky in the fact that his, the cardiologist has treated him for most of his life, Dr. Jadakin. At PCH, he had that bond with Jeremy. There was a time where Jeremy had a surgery, and it was, you know, it it wasn't good, <laughs> and they were scared that he was going to crash. So Doctor Jadakin slept in the room next to him, didn't go home, didn't go home because he was he wanted to make sure that his boy was going to be okay. Wow, that's amazing! Thank you so much for the advice, and I completely, a hundred percent, agree with you. We should treat all our patients as humans. Everyone is different, and I'm very happy to hear that Jeremy had great doctors、um, taking care of him throughout his life. He really did.、Uh, Doctor Dedekin became family. He called Jeremy's son. Wow. You know, Anna, us in the medical field get very good at coming up with a treatment plan for a patient, and that often includes multiple different appointments, multiple medications, in a way that can be very confusing and challenging for both the patient and the family to understand. And just like putting into context who a patient is outside of the medical condition, understanding how challenging it can be for all these things. To fall into place correctly, also seems important. How did you manage to keep everything straight and make all the appointments, procedures, medications, and everything that he needed to have in order to stay healthy? A lot of the credit has to go to my mother-in-law. She's the one that knows her her baby, right?、Um, so she really made sure that. Obviously, she took care of all his appointments and everything when he was little. But even as he got older, she really made sure that he went in for his INRs and, you know, make sure that he got his medication. But Jeremy was responsible for all his、um, medical appointments, and I think part of that was also him trying to shelter me from how much medical involvement there really was. You know, he would, he would always just say like, "Oh, I have this appointment or that appointment. It's not a big deal." Or sometimes he would, you know, have appointments and I wouldn't even know.、Uh, his medication, we had it in a Medi-Cet, and he set his own Medi-Cet up, and just he knew that he had to take it. I think that when you have, you know, a heart condition like he did, you could either let it drag you down, or you could let it bring something else inside of you and. That's what he did. It didn't define him, and he he went to the doctor's appointments, and then he would still go back to work. <laughs> you know, when he got back from Stanford, 
Two weeks later, he was like, I got to go to work. And he was like already trying to go golf. And I was like, you can't do that. And he was like, fine, I'll just go try to hit some balls. That's just who he was. He wasn't going to slow down. He was going to live his life. I remember talking to Jeremy as we were deciding what case to share with the audience for this podcast. And I also remember him being very excited for us to tell his story, not just because it is interesting and there's a lot of learning to be had over everything that he's gone through, but he mentioned that he wanted future doctors and cardiologists to learn from his experience. Genuinely, he seemed very excited to hear what the podcast was going to sound like. Can you tell us more about how he felt about this about this project? Yes. <clears throat> I think he was very excited, like I said, because he didn't let it define him. You know, like if he, he didn't like people knowing that he had a heart condition. He wanted people to meet him and know him for him. And then if the subject came up, he might bring it up. And I think that this exciting for him because he just wanted people to see, you know, what you could accomplish. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, the sky's the limit. And it doesn't matter if you have a heart condition. Live life to the fullest. And I think that he was just excited to share his story with people because he wanted maybe other people that might be younger than him or parents that have children, you know, that are being diagnosed with condition or a similar heart condition to him and them to hear this and know that you know, you could still have a beautiful life, you know, your child could still, you know, your child's going to strive, you know, your child's going to be okay. Um, went to uh, an event at Phoenix Children's Hospital and remember, you know, there was a lady there and her daughter had this condition that Jeremy did and her daughter couldn't have been more than four or five and she shared her story and, you know, Jeremy, we waited a while and I was like, I don't know why we're waiting, but you know, he took the woman aside and talked to her and said, hey, listen, I'm 36 and look at my life and this is my wife and your daughter's going to be okay. This is a great hospital. These are great doctors. Your daughter's going to be okay. And I think that he was excited for this podcast because he wants people to know that, you know, you could do so much even though you're diagnosed with something like this. Like you said, it's it's scary to go into the unknown and his heart condition you know even though we knew about it it's an unknown thing right we don't know if he's, if he's gonna wake up and the pacemaker's not gonna be right or the medication is gonna stop working or but I think he was like I said he was just excited to show people this heart condition but you could still strive and I think also you know we were very very pro-education I don't know if that makes any sense but I think he just wanted people to learn from him too because maybe this next generation of cardiologists that are listening to this podcast are going to be the ones that find something to help people with his diagnosis live past 40. You know, that's what we're really hoping for. And I mean, we keep on thinking, you know, about his legacy and we are really excited to start scholarship uh, for future cardiologists, you know, at Stanford. And I don't really, you know, we're just just getting their feet wet with that. And uh, we're going to do a golf tournament out here and the proceeds will go to that. And I think, you know, my mother-in-law and I, 
talked about it and it just felt right, you know? I think that that's something that he would like to help other people with his heart condition, like to make sure that we get some other Dr. Jadakins out there, future Dr. Jadakins. That's exciting for us. Wow, Anna, that is amazing. We will post specifics about this tournament and, and fundraising on the blog and the website. Thank you. There's a GoFund for Jeremy Keck Legacy Fund. That's as far as, um, I mean, we're already planning the golf tournament, but as far as fundraising, that's where we're at. Well, I'm already there, and I have to tell you, and uh, I, I want to express to you that uh, no one of us uh, listening or present on this discussion today uh, can feel the amount of pain and of loss uh, that you have and that you have experienced. I also want to tell you that even in in sight of all of that, you've managed to to share with us even more so the joy, the meaning, the the drive, the f- sense of family and determination, and the fact that heart disease in no way, shape, or form defined Jeremy. That everything else, family, sport, golf, love, children, uh, that's Jeremy. Uh, and... I have heard few people over decades be able to reflect back so clearly to us. Uh, I want to thank you. you. You've allowed me in this short period of time to become one of your family. Uh, I don't know how you did it. You did. Uh, and I feel as if I can feel Jeremy uh, and I take away from him. You know, I'm, I'm going to start collecting $1 bills, Anna. I, I'm going to tell you the truth. And uh, and you've, you've made a change in my life, and Jeremy has made a change in my life. I, I am so appreciative for you allowing me to be with you today. Thank you. I'm honored that you guys are doing this, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this as well. Yeah, Anna, uh, echoing what Mike was saying, you know, Jeremy, just him wanting to be on the show, I, I was not surprised to hear that at all. Is that just so consistent with, who he was as a person. And, um, you know, before we conclude this episode, I was wondering if you have any final message um, for the rest of Cardio Nerds Nation out here. I guess, you know, going back to what I, I said to you, you know, just, they're not just a heart condition, you know? And I know that, you know, you create treatment plans and it goes, you know, and you have to go from room to room, but, you know, take, take a minute. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised of what that will do for your patient. And also I feel like you'd be surprised. You might become a huge part of that person's life. You know, I mean, like going back to Dr. Jadakin, he's a huge part of our, our life. And, you know, even now he checks in with my mother-in-law and checks in with me. And, you, you know, talking to him, even after Jerry passed away, it gave me some peace because he said, you know, Jeremy was very realistic about his condition. And I think, you know, like I said to you guys, you know, he sheltered me a lot. And I was so grateful that he had that relationship with his doctor because if he, you know, felt like he couldn't tell me something, the fact that he could tell his doctor, hey, this is how I'm feeling and really 
mean, it couldn't have been more perfect, right? He was realistic and really honest with the person that he should be with, his cardiologist. And you know that that bond doesn't come around a lot, you know. And if anything, that that I was future cardiologists or cardiologists that are listening to this is, you know, take that, you know. Yeah, that's. I'm so happy to hear of all the strong bonds you, Jeremy, and everyone have formed with doctors and other friends, and、um, you know these bonds will be for a lifetime. So thank you all so much for this wonderful discussion. Your time is also important and precious, and this was just so phenomenal, educational, and inspiring. Anna, thank you for being so generous with your story and sharing so much with us about the life, the, the、uh, love, positivity, and the legacy that Jeremy left with us. And as a young doctor, I learned about what it means to care for patients with ACHD and their families. As a human, I learned even more about the things that matter most to our patients and who they are outside the hospital. Knowing our patients as people, as parents, children, siblings, even golf enthusiasts, help us really keep their values at the center of our approach and our medical care. You know, as an Osler resident, quoting the famous William Osler, he once said. The good physician treats the disease. The great physician treats the patient who has the disease. And Pablo, that's I think that's exactly how you took care of Jeremy. When I say this, and from your conversation with Anna, and from being involved in this case, Jeremy and Anna, everyone got great care at Stanford, and you really got to know Jeremy and Anna. You know, not just as the patient, but as A human and as someone with hobbies and life outside of the hospital. And Mike, thank you so much for helping us learn how to treat patients、uh, with ACHD and how to really help them kind of navigate through what may be the most difficult part of their lives. And Anna, again, thank you for sharing Jeremy's legacy with us today. As he would have said, we are making history. Thank you, everyone. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Pablo and Evelyn, I'm just stunned. An interview and a discussion that I had hoped to be part of, and and didn't know exactly how it was going to go. Can I ask you what are your thoughts? How, how did you how do you think things went? Yeah, I was very touched by all the stories Anna shared. Just like you, Dr. Landsberg, I did not know what to expect、um, before the recording, and this was more than it it exceeded my expectation. I learned so much about Jeremy. I never met him. I did not get the chance to take care of him, but I felt like I really learned who he was as a person. Really learned what valued most for him, and as a future cardiologist, a future fellow in training, this was such a very educational opportunity for me that I'm just so honored to have the opportunity to be part of this. Same as we went through the medical portion of. His hospital course. Something that 
you have to read in between the lines is the story behind the patient and the family before they got to the hospital and what they're thinking, feeling, and going through while they're there and afterwards. And the reason that we wanted to do this session was so that we could color into the multidimensional picture that is treating the patient as a whole. That it's more than the sotalol and the digoxin and the VF is everything that is happening in between those lines. And so having this session where we could really delve into what Anna and Jeremy and the rest of the family had gone through before getting there and then how she felt within it and then afterwards was, I think, just as important as here in the case itself, if not even more important. And Pablo, as you were speaking, it brought to mind a couple of things. We've worked together for some time uh, when you were back in Boston and you know that for about 25 of my 30 some odd years in practice, I, I was an interventional cardiologist. And I will tell you, I was plagued by the uncertainty of what it was that helped my patients and their families get better. Was it the opening up of some narrowing, closing some whole understanding chemodynamics? Was it the pharmacotherapy that I was using? Or in fact, was it something about understanding the patient, understanding their hopes and their goals, and trying to align what we in medicine had to offer with what that person is and what their aspirations and what they found would be intolerable. And that was always the balance, and I continue to struggle with that. And, I, and as I thought about that during the interview, I also thought to myself, as I listened to you, Pablo and Evelyn, as I listened to you, I, I kept thinking to myself, wow, um, you know, it's not just our pharmacotherapy. Uh, and it, by the way, Pablo, I, I'm not trying to derogate what Stanford did and what you all did was amazing because I had not expected the outcome from that hospitalization that you were able to achieve. There was so much more than that. You know, I, I'm thinking during our interview with Anna, how powerful the tools of our words are. Right? We send out a ping of some sort and we hope to get a particular response. And it's not just random, right? We're not just voyeurs in the lives of our patients. Every word, every question that we have is an important tool. It's therapeutic when we want it to be therapeutic. It's exploratory when we want it to be. I was so impressed at how much the two of you thought through what this interaction was going to be like, helped to learn about Jeremy, but you were also so therapeutic with Anna. Yeah, no, that was the objective is to provide Anna with the space to color in with the things that we didn't necessarily have time or were able to get into while they were in the hospital. I mean, all those uh, important niches of information that can end up passing by if you don't pay close attention. And it was amazing to hear her tell us a story about how they met, how she slowly found out what his condition was like and how his positivity, determination and optimism colored the way that she was as a person after they met and how that ended up going down even to their children who are still learning to cope with his loss. I think it makes the experience of treating him all the more important and remarkable because we get to learn of what they all went through. 
I, I think that the two of you really very much unpacked uh, the suffering, the, the multifold nature of that. There's the physical component of it, and there's so much more. And you kept yourselves open during the conversation. The toughest part of any conversation that we have with patients is that we seem to have, we always do, we have a preconceived notion of where we're heading. And it's the tough part of saying, hold yourself back, listen, be in the very moment. And when you do that, you hear what you wouldn't have heard otherwise. And, and I heard the two of you do that uh, so much. I tried to do that as well during the interview. It's a practiced art. And it so frequently gives us those small little cues and clues as to what can make the difference. I, I saw the two of you pivot during our interview from what it appeared to be a particular kind of question. And then when you listened and heard Anna, you were able to reflect immediately uh, and to change those questions. I, I, I want to tell you that is mature beyond maturity and has taken me decades to, to learn and practice. And I'm awed by the two of you in terms of doing that. It made for a really deep and meaningful approach to care. Evelyn, can I, can I reflect? You were talking about the great William Osler. Uh, yeah. That quote about, it's not just about the care that we do, but it's the caring. And uh, that was very clear. As we take care of patients, we take care of their entire world, don't we? And we take care of their families, their loved ones, and the partnerships that they have that give them support. It's so important in terms of their legacy and who they are and their narrative. And I heard how deeply the two of you were committed to that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And while I was listening to Anna's story, Jeremy's story, I, I, I remembered when I was an intern and my chief, uh, which was Ahmed, always wanted us to include a hobby and the patient's one-liner. And I continued doing that even um, throughout my residency. So all the patients I take care of, I learn more about them as a human, as a person, rather than just someone with XYZ uh, disease. And I think that's just so important for us to be a good doctor. We, you know, not just clinically well-trained, but also really learn our patients as who they are and learn about their family. So I really want to thank you, Dr. Landsberg, for this great conversation. I learned so much and Pablo for sharing this great case with us and with the rest of the Cardio Nurse Nation. Dr. Song, Evelyn, thank you. Dr. Sanchez, Pablo, thank you. I, that's the right way to say it. I am a cardio nerd. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this with you. Thank you.